This is something an unbeliever would ask me, right? And say, you've got God who created everything. He's good. So why does he allow this? But then I thought about it and I said, actually, it's not just an unbeliever uh, who will ask that question. We are believers. We're sat here and I'm sure we've all had times where we've asked the same question. Like, God, why have you allowed this? Why has that happened? So it's certainly something that we all can relate to regardless of where we are in faith. Do you agree? Are we sure? Energy. Thank you. Wonderful. So I thought, okay, before I answer her question, this question came to me about two weeks ago. Before I answer her question, let me actually go back to the word. Let me try and answer her from a solid biblical pace so that it wasn't my own opinion. It wasn't my own kind of logical, rational thinking to answer her question. Let me try and validate it with the word of God. So I went to the Bible and I was seeking an explanation that kind of felt along my own trail of thought in terms of what I was thinking right But God had different plan in terms of what he wanted me to understand about this very particular topic. And so it's really interesting, but I really want you to to go along with me because the the way that God helped me understand this question that she was asking really touches on the nature of mankind, the nature of us as human beings. So if you want a title for the message, you can call it Why God Allows Evil. I don't know, but maybe don't call it that. Call it what you want. Amen. So let's just bow our heads very quickly and just ask God, just open our eyes, open our ears of understanding. Let us be able to comprehend your word today. Let us be able to understand that which you want us to receive, Lord. Lord, let your word come with clarity, Lord. Let it come with understanding. Lord, let there be no confusion in your word this morning. Heavenly Father, I ask for revelation of your word, not to our physical beings, but to our spirit, to your spirit that is dwelling in us, Lord. And Lord, above all else, we ask that you will be glorified in this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So can we turn our Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. And I'm going to read the New Living Translation version. It says, the heart, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? So you might be there, you might be thinking, well, I'm not wicked, I'm actually pretty decent, I'm an all right person. Or you're thinking the human heart, but I know myself, I know that I would never intentionally do wicked things. The main thing that I want us to share with, share with us, first of all, is that we must never lose sight of the fact that it's the Spirit of God that is dwelling in us, that is preventing us from doing wicked things. Our nature as human beings, our natural state is wicked. The things that our heart desire are evil and wicked things. So it is the spirit of God. The minute we accept Jesus Christ, the spirit of Christ enters us and is that spirit that is toying all the time to prevent us from doing wicked things. When Adam and Eve, at the very beginning, they started as spiritual beings, right? And they, the fall of man from grace meant they became flesh beings or they became natural man. So they lost that spirit, that connection to Christ that they carried from the very beginning. They lost that and they became flesh. And the Bible helps us to understand the flesh 
is sinful, right? The flesh of man is sinful. In Romans 8, 17, Paul said, good does not dwell in me. He was talking about his flesh man, right? As a natural man, good doesn't dwell in him. But if you read further in Romans 8 or before verse 5, it, it helps us to understand that the flesh man is governed by the desires of the flesh, right? The things that you want are the things that your heart, your human heart craves for. And the Bible says in Galatians 5.17 that we learn, the desire, we learn that the desires of the flesh are contrary to the desires of the spirit. It's when we carry the spirit of Christ that we're able to separate from the desires of the flesh, right? We enter into a new realm. Galatians 5, 17 says, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that, they do, so that you are to, not to do whatever you want. So the two things are in contrast. Are you guys follow me so far? Wonderful. So the conclusion of what I'm trying to say with that particular point is that the natural man is wicked. The natural man is evil in its nature and it's through the spirit of Christ and the grace of God that we can keep the natural man at bay. It doesn't mean you become born again and the natural man dies. The natural man is still very much alive in you, but it's the spirit of Christ and the grace of God that helps us keep it at bay. So what am I trying to say? So it's this wickedness that is in the natural man that God saw. And in Genesis chapter six, verse five, it says, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth and that every inclination of the thought of the human heart was of evil all the time. So God saw this wickedness from the very beginning and he responded to the wickedness. In Genesis chapter four, we read about how Cain killed his brother and God punished him. Right. Similarly, in Genesis chapter 6, we read that the, God destroyed the whole earth because, because he saw the wickedness of man. He saw how corrupt the heart of man had become. So he wiped the whole earth except for one, one particular family. Genesis 6 verse 6 says, The Lord regretted that he had made the human race on earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So then he went on to wipe out the race that he had created. And even in Genesis chapter 19, if you've read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, God again saw the wickedness of man, saw the heart of man was perverse and the ways of man had become perverse. So he wiped out the entire city. So time and time again, the reason I'm sharing this example is because the actions of these people, the thoughts in their hearts were not the will of God. Right, they had very much strayed away from what God intended. I wrote down in my notes that the actions of these people were evil, not because God permitted it, but because the natural man, the way these people were naturally, was evil, was wicked. Do you follow me? Yeah? So what am I trying to say? Where is this all going? Well, to the question that I was asked, which is why does God allow evil? The scripture that uh, was referenced was Isaiah 54 verse 7. It says, I formed the light and created darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. So God was saying, I create evil. So it's like, well, if, if God is so good, why did he create evil? And what exactly is this evil that we're talking about? And from the scripture and the examples I've just shared, one thing that I picked up was, well, two things that I picked up. 
that when we do evil things or when we do wicked things that comes from the natural man, the response that we get from God is judgment of the things that we've done. And I'll explain what I mean. There are certain things that we do that deviate from God's standards, that deviate from the norm that God has created, from the way things ought to be. And when those things happen, God responds. And sometimes he doesn't respond in ways that we want him to, right? Because in reality, we expect God to be loving all the time. We expect him to be good all the time. We expect him to be merciful to us all the time. And when things happen that to us feel evil, then we start to question, are you really a good God? We start to say, oh God, you can't be all good. He isn't, you know, God also responds and he can judge us. In Isaiah 54, 7, the word evil that was used come from the Hebrew term, that mean, it means a uh, Hebrew word ra, which means to, what did I write down? It means affliction or distress or misery. So the Bible uses the word interchangeably, right? It says evil in some places, it says misery in some places, but regardless of however you see it, it's saying that God allows misery, God created distress. And what I'm saying is, actually God allows it sometimes as judgment to the things that the natural man is doing. Amen. So if you're thinking, God, why do you allow these things? Why on earth would you still judge us? Or why on earth would you do these things? Find some scriptures that we should bear in mind. Isaiah 14, 24 says, The Lord Almighty has sworn, Surely as I have planned, so will it be. As I have purposed, so will it happen. Ezekiel 20, oh, sorry, Ezekiel 12, 25. I really like the way New Living Translation puts it. It says, For I am the Lord. If I say it, it will happen. There will be no more delays, you rebels of Israel. I will fulfill my threats of destructions in your own lifetime. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. Deuteronomy 32 verse 4 says, He is the rock, his works are perfect, and all his ways are just. And Habakkuk 1 verse 13 says, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. I'm reading all the scriptures to you because sometimes God does things and we're saying why. And these scriptures are the reasons why. Because he's just, he's perfect. He doesn't owe you or I an explanation for the things that he does. He cannot tolerate wrongdoing, right? He cannot look at evil and say, okay, I'll let you get away with it. You know, he, he has to keep to his word. He's not going to bend his word to please me or to please you. Right? So when our natural being takes over, sometimes when the flesh takes dominance and the things that we do, that wickedness comes across, God intercedes and his interception is to correct. Amen? So these scriptures are all testifying to God's character I wrote down. We might live in a world where our moral compass is shifting and is going left and left, but God's moral compass doesn't shift, right? It is the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. Amen. Amen. So everything I've said is for one reason, or everything I said is one reason why God permits evil, right? And the point that I'm trying to make is sometimes God permits evil 
or the things we perceive as evil to correct our wrongdoings, to correct the wickedness that we are doing. And I know it's not easy pill to swallow and it's not easy to accept. And there's a whole bunch of other reasons why God may permit evil or why God will allow certain things to happen to us. I can't give you every single reason. And that's why I told my cousin, I was like, like, I can only share with you my understanding and I advise that you spend time in the word. But one thing that I did take away is instead of us looking to God and saying, oh God, how can you allow this to happen to me? How can you allow that to happen to me? How can you allow that to happen to that particular family? I think we should spend more time looking at the word and looking at the examples in the word of things that have happened to people and look at why it's happened to those people. Because I think there's a lot that we can learn from those people's experience and the way they overcame or the outcomes of their experience. So I just want to share a couple really quickly. And the first is Joseph. If you read Genesis from uh, 37 through to Genesis 50, you read the story of Joseph. And, you know, long and short, he was kidnapped by his brothers. He was sold off. And if you're someone with a high sort of moral sense, you'll be asking all along the story, like, God, why him? What did he do to deserve, like, these evil brothers who just wanted to kill him? Right? You'd be asking God, what on earth did this guy to, to, to deserve this? But as you read along in the story, you find that actually that what Joseph went through was to bring about good in the future. And even Joseph himself recognized that in Genesis chapter 50, I think it's verse 20, Joseph said, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about that this day to save many people's lives. And you, one thing you have to remember in this story is that this was decades later that the good came, right? It wasn't an overnight. It wasn't like they kidnapped him today, you know, they sold him tomorrow and next week, bam, good news. You know, this was decades later that we got to the good news. And you just have to put yourself in Joseph's shoes and ask yourself, like, how did this guy feel along the way? You know, every single step, but we read time and time again that his faith in God grew more and more, right? So sometimes we have to understand that what seems like evil around us in that moment and in that time is actually to bring about good. Amen. Equally, a story we're all very familiar with is Job. You know, the book of Job, Job was tested. And in, what was different was that he was tested to prove Satan's accusations as wrong. Right. And what I found really interesting reading the story again was that Satan didn't go to him to say, I'm going to test you. He went to God, right? He went to God to place the accusation and God permitted then Satan to test him. So sometimes you're going for a test that you have no understanding of. God has allowed that test, right? Because he wants to prove the accusations of the people who are accusing you is wrong, right? So how much confidence does that say that God has in you to allow that kind of test to come your way. You know, all throughout, you know, Job, he certainly wasn't perfect. You know, all his lamentations, every single thing that he went through. But in the end, what was absolute misery, what was absolute 
horrible wickedness God rewarded for him. And the Bible says that he received double restitution in Job 42.10. You know, so you're going through this evil thing or evil that God has permitted and you're saying, why me? But God is trying to clear your name sometimes. You know, so it's not for us to try and understand in that moment, but it's for us to look to the word of God, see other people. Because the reality is when you're facing something, you're not going to see it. You're not going to be logical about it. But if you believe in the word of God and you truly trust the word of God, then you have to go and find examples there. The word of God is perfect and complete, which means you can find hope in the word. The third person, which uh, or, or third example, which I, I've already referenced to, was uh, was sort of in the instance where God is taking you for is allowed wickedness or evil as a form of correction. In the case of Cain, who had killed his brother, he lost his own life too. Right, he was destroyed. You know, in the time of Noah, it was the flood to wipe out the entire human race. Again, I mentioned Sodom and Gomorrah, where God wiped out the entire city. You know, and we're saying that's really harsh, but the Bible has made it clear to us in Romans 6, 23, it says, the wages of sin is death. Right? So that is the extreme end, right, of that sin that these people were committing. And that does not reflect God's nature. And God is saying, this is not of me. So the only way was death. We might not be able to comprehend it or accept it easily, but the word of God is true. But we have a grace today. We have a grace because Christ paid that wage for us, right? He died for us to take our sins. So we might be doing things that is wicked in one way or another. I hate using that word wicked because it sounds really harsh, but let's go with it. We're doing things that's wicked and we're taking for granted that Christ has died for us because if God was to truly judge us as we saw in the Old Testament, he will judge us and we will all probably be dead. So the key thing I really want to point out is God has given us a gift called Jesus Christ, right? So we shouldn't be caught up on, oh my goodness, you know, God, why are you allowing this evil? but rather be caught up in knowing that Christ has paid the price for us. And regardless of what may come at us, that we will overcome because of Christ. Amen. And the last thing is for spiritual maturity, right? Sometimes we go through things, you know, our suffering might be a catalyst for us to grow spiritually, right? It's a way for God to elevate us. Pastor gave this example I think we were still in youth church back then. He used to talk about, you know, God enlarging you in the sense that he pours into you that vessel or, or using a cup as an example, you know, become full, right? And you think that's it, I've reached ultimate height. And then he pours you into a larger vessel and then you feel really small again. It's because he's expanding you for growth. And sometimes that expansion comes in a painful way, right? It doesn't mean it's going to be smooth sailing all the way through. But we have to trust God. We have to trust that what God is doing with us as his children, as long as we remain in Christ, is for our own good. 
You know, the Bible talks about his plan for us are of good and not evil. You know, so he might have allowed evil, but that evil is to bring you to a glorious place. Amen. So I'm going to pause there because of time. And I think it's a good point to stop. But I do want us to take one prayer point. And the prayer point is going to be from Matthew chapter 15, verse 19. Matthew chapter 15, verse 19. It says, For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murder, adulteries, fornication, theft, false witness, and blasphemies. You're thinking this one heart has so much power. So I'm going to ask us to commit our hearts unto God. And you're going to pray three simple prayer points. You're going to say, Lord, yet let your laws, let it be written in my heart to observe and to keep. Because when you know what is right, when you're able to commit yourself and know the word of God, know what is right, then you can keep evil obey. So you're going to say, Lord, I don't just want to hear your word. I don't just want to read your word. I want it to be written in my heart. I want it to remain in my heart, Lord. Help me to observe it and to keep it so that I can keep the flesh obey, so that I can keep the desires of the flesh obey. And I want you to say, Lord, whatever it takes, align the desires of my heart with yours. Whatever I take, Lord, let my flesh man, let it die so that your spirit in me will take control so that the desires of my heart, Lord, will align with yours. And again, you're going to say, Lord, whatever it takes, teach me to discern good from evil. Teach me, Lord, to discern, to discern good from evil through your righteousness, Almighty Father. Help me to constantly practice what is good, Lord. In Jesus' name, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, Lord. Lord, even though it was short, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your understanding from your word, Almighty Father, Lord. Lord, we commit ourselves to you, Lord. We ask, Almighty Father, that our physical being, Lord, our, our natural man, Lord, will die so that your spirit will reign in us, Almighty Father, so that we will be consumed by your spirit and not our physical desires or our physical flesh, Lord. Lord, let us not be victims, Almighty Father, to the desires of our hearts, Lord. Let our thoughts, let our desires, Lord, let it align with your will for us. Lord, in all circumstances, Almighty Father, let us help us to understand, Lord, your intention, Lord. Help us to understand the good that you are doing, Lord. Help us to understand the place that you are taking us to, Lord. Let us not look at things happening around us with our physical eyes, Lord. Let our spiritual eyes, let it lead us, mighty Father. And mighty Father, where there is doubt, where there is doubt in your word, where there is doubt in the things that you are doing, Lord, help us to see beyond our doubt. Lord, where there is unbelief, help us to believe in your word, Lord. Help us to find hope in your word. And finally, Lord, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for the price that was paid on our behalf, Lord. Not because we are deserving, Lord, but just because you are merciful. Lord, thank you for paying the price. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.